Good morning, everybody. It's a joy to join the Azure Hills family uh, this morning on the West Coast from here in Atlanta, Georgia. Before I go further, let me let you know this, that uh, we've been praying for you, our brothers and sisters on the West Coast, especially there in California. Uh, we have been observing the fires and watching uh, the devastation up and down the state. And as I mentioned, we have not only been observing it and watching it in the news, but we have been uh, praying for you. We have been um, operating on the admonishment of the word of God, where the word says, pray one for another. And we've been praying for you that God will protect you. He will protect your properties and that uh, more than properties that he will protect your your lives. Let me just uh, uh, give a, a word of admiration and, and celebration and recognition uh, to your senior pastor, Pastor Vincross, as well as the entire pastoral staff. Uh, and just uh, let them know I revere them, I respect them, uh, because they are leading the church of God uh, at a very precarious time as, as pastors are doing around the world. Also, uh, one of your pastoral staff, uh, Pastor Brian Taylor, is my, my brother-in-law, my uh, sister Tara is there on staff, and I give them a shout out as well. Uh, you have an amazing uh, pastoral staff, and I just praise God for each of them. Uh, and I know that you also uh, pray for them on a daily basis. You hold them up and you cover them and you circle them uh, in prayer on a daily on a daily basis. I want to take you to the word of God this morning. And I want to talk to you about a testimony from a sinner. Testimony from a sinner. Well, I, I enjoy testimonies when they are uh, shared in church. In my uh, church tradition, there is nothing like after a baptism or uh, when a person joins the church where uh, they stand in front of the church and they give a testimony about their journey from their old life to their new life, a life outside of God to a life where they receive the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And by the way, uh, everybody, everyone needs to have that testimony. You need to have, be able to look back at that defining moment of your life where you know that you know that you know uh, that the Lord saved you uh, at that moment or where you came from, from, from death to life in receiving Jesus Christ uh, as your Savior. That moment when you know that you received the Lord uh, as not only your Savior, but your Lord and your friend. Um, and I just praise God for those of you this morning who uh, have experienced that journey and you revel and you celebrate of uh, the moment that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, took over your life. Well, this is one of those testimonies. But this testimony uh, comes from the Bible. And when you uh, usually uh, are focused on testimonies that are coming from the Word, they are uh, usually emanating from the uh, New Testament. But this testimony this morning comes from the Old Testament. It comes from one of the most unlikeliest books in the Bible. And this testimony comes from one of the most unlikeliest people in the Bible. It comes from the book of Daniel. And right now, if you can, if you can grab your Bible uh, or, your, or your smart device and go to Daniel chapter 4, you want to just make sure that you're right there uh, in the Word this morning. Daniel uh, chapter 4. If you have a smart device, uh, just put it on your Bible app on the NLT, the New Living Translation. That's the version I'm coming from today. Daniel uh, chapter 4. Uh, this testimony, again, uh, comes from Daniel, and it comes from Nebuchadnezzar. Um, uh, some testimonies 
that, that you are just baffled over. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is the last guy on earth <clears throat> that you would think can give a testimony, uh, given the braziness and the arrogance and the pridefulness and the evil uh, instincts of that, that, that are so much a part of his life. You know the book of Daniel, and I'm going to look at uh, just a, a flyover of those first three chapters. You know in Daniel chapter 1, it opens with uh, Daniel and his three friends who are uh, focused uh, in Daniel chapter 1 of having come along with many other of the, the fellow countrymen uh, to Babylon to serve in government. Uh, these were the best of the best of the best of, 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 of the Jewish nation uh, that were taken captive and brought to Babylon. You know, in Daniel chapter 1, the, uh, the, the, the singular story that stands out is when Daniel and his three friends took a stand. I love that. That Daniel and his three friends took a stand and they said, this is the diet that we prefer. They were able to negotiate it. They were able to convince uh, the king's uh, um, uh, supervisor over them to allow them to eat in the way that they knew would be optimal for their health. And of course, you know the story. They ended up uh, after 10 days uh, of the test period, over 10 days of, of being stronger than their colleagues and, and more wiser. And of course, they came in uh, to their job uh, already uh, being promoted uh, because of just what they demonstrated, because they could, they could stand at a moment and God blessed them. God gave them favor over that, uh, over that stand. And Daniel chapter 2, uh, that is the most uh, famous prophetic chapter in the Bible. And you know that uh, focus is where Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He wakes up from this disturbing dream. He cannot remember the dream and he has no idea what the interpretation. Through a series of events, uh, his wise men, the astrologers, the soothsayers, who have been used to uh, duping the king uh, uh, over things, he read right through it, saw right through them and pushed him to the side and said, all of you are going to die because you cannot give me my dream or the interpretation. Daniel comes in, saves the day. He prays to the God of heaven. God not only gives him what the dream was that Nebuchadnezzar had dreamt, uh, but he also gives uh, the interpretation of the dream. And of course, in the interpretation, there's this metallic image, head of gold, and then other metals are on that image. The thing about Nebuchadnezzar is that he was impressed by it for a moment, but the part of that interpretation of his dream that he remembers most was that he was ahead of gold. That was the most important thing. He, he didn't go any further uh, past these subsequent nations that were to come on following him. He stopped right there, period. Only thing I want to talk about coming out of this is ahead of gold, and that's me. Well, to, to, to support that, you get to Daniel chapter 3, and you know the focus is these three Hebrew boys who are who've been forced to worship on the plains of Durham of where Nebuchadnezzar has built a metallic image that is totally gold, an image that looks just like him, uh, 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 rising high into the air. And of course, the edict was that unless you bow down uh, when the music starts and worship this image, which is worshiping Nebuchadnezzar, people got the, 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 the bottom line, y'all going to die. Uh, the three Hebrew boys did not bow down. As you know the story, they're all before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar says something like this, I like you guys, uh, uh, you are very promotable uh, in this kingdom, uh, you guys are impressive, 
but even though I like you, uh, I'm going to give you a second chance that when the music starts, uh, which was really a worship service, when the music starts, we want you to bow down and worship this image, because if you don't, over there is a fiery, fiery furnace. I like that alliteration. A fiery, fiery furnace that we're going to heat seven times hotter than it is right now if you don't bow down. And you remember those famous, poignant, powerful words of faith uh, that those boys declared to Nebuchadnezzar. King, we, we're not going to succumb to your threats. Your threats have no effect on us because we believe that if you throw us into that fiery furnace, listen to these words, our God is able to deliver us from that fiery, fiery furnace. But if he does not, we still are going to trust him. We still are not going to bow down. Let me pause here uh, parenthetically to say this. This is what faith is all about. Is that I don't lose my trust in God because he does not come through, or come through on a situation like I prefer. Those boys said it so clearly. Our God is able. God is more than able to do what he has to do in your life. There is nothing so so massive that God cannot deal with it as it was said over in Genesis. Uh, is there anything too hard for the Lord? It's not. He could have got them out of there in a nanosecond, but they said, our God is able. The issue is not his ability. The issue is, does he sovereignly choose to do it in this way? Our God is able to deliver us, but if he does not, we still are going to trust him. That's the level of faith that I want, because God is not always, as we know by now, going to come through and deliver us and get us out of certain situations. But he says, trust me, wait on me. Because I'm always working that together in a bigger plan all the time for uh, for your good. That's the backdrop. So when we land at Daniel chapter 4, go there uh, now, uh, this story opens up with a testimony by Nebuchadnezzar. It's like one of those movies that starts at the most dramatic part of the movie. It pauses because you're trying to figure out how did they get here, and it says... Five or six days earlier, it takes the movie back and says, we're going to show you what happened in the beginning so you can tell you what this ending that you're seeing is all about. Nebuchadnezzar opens up with the testimony. He opens up by, 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 by saying that, uh, I want you to know all about the miraculous signs in verse two and wonders that the most high God did in my life and how great are his signs. And he says, his kingdom shall last forever. This is coming from Nebuchadnezzar. This is the same guy who heard the prophecy in Daniel chapter 2. This is the same guy who built the image of himself to be worshipped in Daniel chapter 3. And in Daniel chapter 4, he is saying the most high God is, 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 the, is the ruler over all the nations. Well, where did that come from? Well, here is the story. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He wakes up from the dream and he remembers the dream and, um, and, and he simply says, I was frightened by that dream. Frightened. He was shook about what he experienced uh, on that night of dreaming. Um, he didn't know the interpretation of it, but there was a churn on the inside. Uh, there was a, a disturbance in his spirit because he knew that there was something ominous that had been delivered to him in his dreams on that evening. He uh, called Daniel uh, once again before him, and, and when he called Daniel before, he said, Daniel, 
I mean, I, you know, um, you came through before. Could you come through again? Tell me about this dream. He says, Daniel, I remember it this time. I just had no idea what it means. He says, uh, there was this huge tree uh, that was rising up into the air. Um, uh, this tree uh, was uh, very uh, very potent in that it provided shade for uh, for all the animals and nutrients uh, for those who scurried around this tree. And then the tree was summarily chopped down. And I just heard a voice uh, that says, uh, leave the root, but everything else has to go. The animals scurried. And, and then I heard a voice that says that he will be uh, turned out from society. He will be like an animal. He will eat grass for seven seasons, uh, uh, and he will be like a crazy uh, man. His hair uh, shall be matted across his face. His his fingernails will be like claws from a bird. It will be an insanity that will come over this man. He said, that's the story, um, um, Daniel, uh, that I got last night in this dream. What does that mean? Daniel demurred. He was reluctant uh, to share the interpretation of that dream because as the Holy Spirit was downloading uh, that interpretation uh, into Daniel's spirit, he was disturbed by it and, and, he, and he didn't want to share it uh, with Nebuchadnezzar because he understood that Nebuchadnezzar was about to be shook from his very core in his life. Nebuchadnezzar saw the disturbance on Daniel's face and, and he says, he says, he said, Daniel, I don't know what the interpretation is, but I can see that you're troubled by it. Daniel, no matter what it is, tell me. You're not going to be harmed. Tell me. And Daniel said, King, I wish that this, um, uh, this prophecy, this, the, the interpretation of this dream of uh, what's about to happen will happen to one of your enemies, but, but don't let it happen to you. And then he says, King, if you would just turn to God and recognize the power of the true God, you can you can avoid this. And 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 have you ever noticed that that God always gives us private warnings before a public warning? God is always speaking in our lives, and 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 at times He will warn us about things to turn uh, to to adjust to move past, to alter in our lives. And, and the Lord always gives us time to make the correction through his power. But, but when you look throughout the word of God and you look at your own life, sometimes God will give a private warning before he gives a public warning. I'm not sure where you are in your life this morning. I'm not sure how God has been speaking to you and what he has been speaking to you about. But when God begins to speak, uh, there's an old song that says God is trying to tell you something. And I just stand this morning transparently before you and say, God, I want you to speak to me. And God, help me to respond uh, when you are speaking to me. Don't let me shut things out. Don't let me just just, just shunter it uh, to the side. But let me be responsive uh, to what God is saying. Because when God uh, has us at a place where we're responsive, if he has to make corrections, he makes corrections in a way that you can get through it. Uh, but if he has to go public with it, sometimes it is a lot more uh, difficult to navigate uh, that terrain. And so this morning, uh, God may be trying to tell you something, and I don't know who you are this morning, but this is the time that God is saying, heads up, I'm trying to say some things in your life of uh, the day. Nebuchadnezzar uh, did not listen. In fact, 
from that interpretation of that prophecy. A whole year uh, passed by. And the Bible says, and Nebuchadnezzar narrates his own story. He says that one day I was standing on the flat roof of the balcony of my palace and I looked out and I looked at all of the <clears throat> glory and the impressiveness of, of Babylon. As you know, uh, Babylon was one of the uh, seven wonders of the world, especially uh, its famous hanging gardens. And uh, the hanging gardens was a phenomenal display of just uh, architectural genius where they hung the plants and suspended them on various levels and tiers where it looked like the plants were suspended in air with no support. It was the seven wonders of the world, that garden uh, that, uh, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar had built. And so ostensibly he looked over, he saw that, he saw all of what had been built through his hands because he said, look what I have done. I Remember that? I built this. I did all of this. And the Bible says, while the words were still in his mouth, it says that that prophecy began to become operationalized in his life. Immediately he was cast uh, to the ground. Immediately he lost his sanity and his mind. And over a seven-year period, Nebuchadnezzar became like an animal. Uh, he was out in the backyard eating grass. Uh, no one could reason with him. His hair was overgrown. His nails became like claws. His sanity, uh, as I mentioned, was, was taken from him. And for seven years, he was humbled. I heard Elder C.D. Brooks say one time, you need to humble yourself before God so he won't have to humiliate you. Nebuchadnezzar never humbled himself before God. And so the Lord had to humiliate him. An humiliating uh, experience it was. Seven long years. But I am so impressed with the mercy and the grace of God no matter what we do. And if you are uh, really at a place in your life right now uh, where you need the Lord and you have uh, gotten in some situations where you're not sure if you can ever turn back, I want you to hear me this morning. There is something about the grace and the mercy of God. And, and this is where this story really takes off. After seven long years, the prophecy had said that the tree will be taken down, but the root and the stump will be left, indicating that there is some potential there. And after seven long years, his sanity is restored. He is restored back to his kingdom. He is given his leadership role back all over again, unexpected. And then Nebuchadnezzar makes this statement in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 36. Listen to this. When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored and said in my kingdom. Let me just pause on that word right there. Forget his being restored to the kingdom. I want to stop at that word where he said, I was restored. I don't know who you are this morning, but whenever we get trapped in sin, no matter what God has to take us through on a journey of correction, God has his way of restoring. 
God has this way of extending grace to us and, and mercy to us and favor towards us that God says, I can not only forgive you, and I will do that, and I can forget your sins, and I will do that, but I can also restore you. I can bring you back. I can take a marriage that that, that is irreparable when it comes uh, to how far uh, the downward spiral has happened in your marriage. God says, I'm in the business of restoring marriages. I'm in the business of restoring lives. I'm, I'm in the business of turning folk around and, and re-establishing them. That's the grace of God. God could have said, Nebuchadnezzar, you're through. You're gone, like he told Saul. You are through, Saul. But he takes this heathen king, and somewhere in that man, the spirit had always been working. Because in Daniel chapter 2, remember, he was impressed by that interpretation of that dream. That your God is awesome. In Daniel chapter 3, when the three Hebrew boys were, were brought out of the fire, he, he declared, your God is awesome. He's amazing above all gods. He just kept going back. He, he didn't stay convicted for very, uh, for very long. And so there was that spark of him that was evident in his life all along that there was something that God saw that he could get at. And God restored that man. God turned him around and God allowed him to be this new creation. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. If any person be in Christ, their new creation, all things are passed away. All things restored have become new. And this morning, this is the gospel found in Nebuchadnezzar, that God is in the business of forgiving. No matter what you've done, God is in the business of restoring, no matter, no matter how far you've gone, God is in the business of bringing you back. Um, listen to this, verse 37. He says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, this time it's for real. You can picture him standing before the church, giving this testimony. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven, all of his acts of dress, are just. All of his acts are true, and he is able to humble. He says, I've been there. You can never have a testimony unless you've already been tested. Your testimony comes on the heels of your test. And if you have never gone to experience uh, where you understood that you were lost, then you will never experience the joy of being restored and saved. And one of the challenges that, that many of us in our faith community have, uh, because we have lived decent lives, uh, our whole lives, uh, we have never had that moment uh, where you recognize that you're lost. Let me tell you something. You can never appreciate Jesus as a Savior until you know that you've been lost and in need of a Savior. And when you finally look into the mirror and you finally say, God, take the scales from my life. Let me see me as I really am. So to help you along with that, I prayed a prayer some years ago that I called the most dangerous prayer in the world. Don't pray this prayer unless you're dead serious. And the prayer that I prayed was, God, show me me. It, it is alleged that Ellen White said uh, that if God were to pull the covers off our life and to show us our real selves and true selves all at one time, she says you can survive it, it will kill you because the, the, the truth about yourself is so stark. And so God 
uh, provides the truth about ourselves in, in increments. And so I prayed that prayer some years ago. God, show me me. And over a series of weeks, God began to show me aspects about myself. I thought I was a pretty good guy. But God began to show me some dark places in my heart. He began to show me uh, of the levels of distrust that I had at times of where I wanted to control events and where I didn't trust God to handle some things. He began to show me some things that uh, were occurring in my marriage that I needed to adjust and change. Some things I thought I was right on. And God says, no, you're not right on that. God, show me me. And coming out of that experience, I'm a pastor. And coming out of that experience, I saw at that point how lost I really was. How lost I was. And I saw how, how far I was from God, even though I thought I was at God. And the Lord began to change my life. I saw my need for the first time, or the second time in my life, of a Savior. And I turned to the Lord and I said, God, you have shown me some things. Uh, showed me some things. God, change my life, God. Uh, change my heart, God. And I recognize uh, all the things in my life is that, Lord, more than ever, I need a Savior. And when you finally come to that place, when you get honest and transparent before God, and you begin to say, just as I am, I come to you, Lord. Because, Lord, you have shown me my true self, my true heart. That is the exact point that you recognize again. When you see your true self, that you need a Savior. And when you finally turn to the Savior, he says, if you come to me, I'm not going to cast you out. If you come to me, I'm going to save you there because if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and he rose up from the grave, he says that you are saved at that moment. And one of the challenges, again, in our faith community is to be able to say that I know, that I know, that I know that I'm saved. We dance all around it. But there is nothing like having the joy to know that if something were to happen to you today, that you are saved, that your salvation is secure because of what the Savior has done for you. So here's the takeaway this morning. I want to encourage you to pray that prayer, no matter where you think you are on your spiritual journey. Pray this prayer. God, show me me. Allow God to do that. And when you see aspects of yourself that you were not even uh, perceiving that it was there, or things that God brought back, they have been warning you over, that is the time not to get discouraged over that, but to turn to the Savior and to say these words. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. And God restores. God changes. God forgives. This comes straight from the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar. That Nebuchadnezzar is going to be in heaven. Can you imagine that? Nebuchadnezzar is going to be in heaven. Um, that just blows my mind. Because he's always a God in prophecy. But he will be there in heaven. Because there came a point in his life where he was a lost man, he got restored, he got forgiven, and he got saved. Praise God that eternal life is Nebuchadnezzar's and it's ours as well. Let me pray with you right now. Father, thank you that all of us need to have a testimony. And the testimony is always from a sinner. And we are sinners, God. But we are sinners that are saved by grace. And Lord, right now, I know that you are saving someone uh, this morning, even uh, as this word is going forth. 
Someone is saying, I need to turn to you right now. And if you're that person this morning, here's what you want to say, Lord Jesus, I'll open my life to you, Lord. I recognize I got a lot of junk in my life, a lot of stuff that swirls in my head. I got a spirit that is not like Jesus. There's some things that have happened that I know is not according to what you want. And right now, Lord, I come to you and I plead the blood of Jesus over my life. And I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. And I ask you, Lord, to save me. And I ask you, Lord, to change me. And the word of God says that Jesus loves you so much and the Father God loves you so much that he's in his only son that if you just believe in Jesus, you will not perish. But as simple as it's wet, you will have everlasting life. It's yours right now by simply asking. God bless you. God be with you this week as you open yourselves up to God, as he seeks to save you, as he seeks to change you, as he seeks to restore you as well. God bless. Have a good Sabbath.